doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat. And it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's, there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. If they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth, be able to speak in people's languages, and at that point, it kind of converge into this one entity, which will be revealed as extraterrestrial. You'll realize that aliens are the gods of old, and at that point, it'll like religion out of the context of humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person, I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that. So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking, it's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy looking being. being here i've been looking forward to talking to you for some time and honestly um it was it was definitely going to be the the she squatchers but then you and i had a conversation via messages (laughs) that kind of kind of derailed that a little bit i still want to do a show with you and the other girls but this show I think was best off just being you and me because we had some particularly interesting conversations. For sure. I can be full of those. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, I think the, the first real conversation that we got into, um, got into a, a, a myriad of, of different, uh, odd things. And, and quite honestly, it, it ended quite late for me. We're an hour different. And, uh, I had, I had some difficulty getting to sleep because my brain just would not shut off thinking about the things that you were talking about. So let's get some of that out on the table. 
Absolutely. Well, I know we were talking about the Mandela effect. And have you experienced the Mandela effect? And, you know, do your listeners understand what that is? Well, for the, for myself, I have experienced it a couple of times. Now, if you, for the listeners, would you like to explain it? Well, I, I think that the definition that they like to give us online is that we're remembering what happened in the past wrong, that masses of people are remembering instances of time incorrectly, but yet all the same, which I think is kind of a cop-out to say that we're wrong, because how could we all be wrong remembering the same thing? And I agree with you. I think that's that, that was a pretty good way of describing it. Where I run into problems is if you go online, you can find any number of uh, Google queries that will come back with, you know, the top 10 Mandela effects or the top 30 Mandela effects. And there are some in there that I completely agree with. I remember it one way and absolutely not the other. But then they throw in some that is like, nope, I remember that. That that one's kind of horseshit because I remember like Oscar Mayer uh, brand uh, bologna or Oscar Mayer wieners. Um, a lot of people say that it was Oscar Mayer, M-E-Y-E-R. I remember being a kid singing, my bologna has a first name, it's O-S-E-A-R, <laughs> and my bologna has a second name, it's M-A-Y-E-R. So I remember it the way they're saying it is correct. I do not remember it being what they're claiming to be a Mandela. M-E-Y-E-R. Right? That, that, is, that is the way they say it's incorrectly. And see, that's the way I remember it. <laughs> M-A-Y-E-R? M-E-Y-E-R. See, and I remember it the opposite. Okay. Because of that song. And I remember the song. I was singing it with you in my head, but you know, that's just so bizarre to me. Why is it so, why is it so intrinsically different? Well, I think specifically things like the Berenstein bears, like, do you remember those storybooks for children? I do. And I'm sorry. It was Berenstein. It was Berenstein. It was not Right. And now they say it's Berenstain. And I've even seen the pictures of the books showing it spelled Berenstain. But I tell you for sure it was Berenstain. Yeah. And, you know, I remember that very, very clearly. You know, and another one, a big one for me is, and and I'm going to wave my nerd flag here, but uh, I'm a big fan of Star Wars. And Luke, I'm your father. Versus, no, I'm your father. Yes. I, I can remember coming home from the Forum Cinema right down the road from me after seeing it the first time, coming home and saying, oh, my God, you're not going to believe it. There was a scene, and Darth Vader looked at Luke and said, Luke, I'm your father. But they say that's not right. Yes, and I have quoted that repeatedly throughout my life because I'm kind of a geek there too but 
uh, don't tell anybody. And uh, <laughs> no, for for real. I mean, I remember that. How about the Queen? The Queen song, "We Are the Champions." Did it end with "Of the World"? You know, I would swear that it did. Me too. And yet they tell and, us that it does not. Yeah, well, and if you if you pull it up on YouTube tonight, it will not end with "Of the World." And they say that never happened. Yeah. But, you know, all of these things, I mean, and there's so many of them. So many of them. I mean, I one of the the first time, one of the first times that somebody talked to me about the Mandela effect, I had never heard of it before. Not saying I hadn't experienced it. I just didn't know what it was called. Mm-hmm. And they said, do you know the Mandela effect? And I, I said, I don't know. And, and they said, well, how about this? Gave me a piece of paper and said, draw North and South America as they appear on a globe. And I'm like, well, I'm not sure that I could draw it exactly. Well, just the positioning of the continents, you know, like, where are they? Mm-hmm. And so I did that. And they said, now look it up on your phone. And so I did. And it was completely different. That's way off. Yes. And I remember North and South America being fairly in alignment, one above the other. And now South America is way off to the right. It's not even really above North America. You know, North America isn't really just above it. And I was like, no, that's not right. And there is no way that it could have shifted that much in my lifetime or people would be dead. And that would come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. It, there's no way that it could have shifted that much in our lifetime or we would have known and there would have been massive tsunamis and Lots of people would be dead. I mean, that just didn't, I mean, how did that change? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, Fruit Loops is another one. Um, the popular breakfast cereal, uh, whether it's spelled F-R-O-O-T or F-R-U-I-T. Which one do you remember? I remember O-O-T. Yeah, me too. And in fact, where the O's were, were actually images of the Fruit Loops. Yes. And that is that not how it is now? Uh, no, that is the way it is okay. now. But, but a lot of people say that it was spelled F-R-U-I-T. Okay. See, this is where I, this is where my, my, uh, my disconnect with, with this subject happens is, I, some of the things I'm in total agreement with, um, you know, like, uh, Sinbad portraying a, a genie. I remember seeing Sinbad dressed as a genie. I remember that movie. I never watched the movie. I cannot say at all that I ever watched the movie, but I remember him being dressed as a, as a genie yeah i remember that he was in a movie where he was a genie i remember that movie and now they say that that there wasn't he was never in a genie movie that never happened and in fact now they say that on some other show poking fun at the mandela effect of him being in the movie that he says he was not in 
he actually dresses up as a genie and like approaches the subject about it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. But, but you know, another one we were talking about uh, earlier in the day is uh, in the James Bond movie Moonraker, where the kind of the side villain, uh, tough guy, um, I forget what his name was in real life, James, Jim Keel, Cole, Kroll, something like that. Really very large guy, very um, odd featured. And he had a, a metal prosthetic in his mouth. So he had these silver teeth. And I remember him riding in a cable car, using his teeth to bite through the metal cable of the cable car, sending him crashing into a building. And while he was pinned under a bunch of debris, this buxom, blonde, pigtailed girl comes walking over and lifts this large wheel or something off of him to help him. And they have this moment where he looks at her and she looks at him and they kind of have this moment where they smile at each other and the sun glistens off of his like ridiculous metal mouth. And then they show her and she smiles and there's a glint coming off of her braces. Yes. I remember that and so now, clearly. And now, and now they say that she doesn't have braces and that she never did. And she never had braces. Yeah. And I have, and, I have seen the interviews with her and him saying that she never had braces. And I'm like, yes, she did. I specifically remember thinking, oh, they have the same. And they're connecting on that, that sweet moment. And, and aside from whether we remember it or not, or they say that it was there or that it wasn't, when you watch that movie, that scene has absolutely nothing to do with anything other than a humorous, humorous little vignette, what would the point have been to, to create that scene had there not been that, that moment where they both had the shiny appliances in their mouth? There would have been no other, no other reason for it, but yet it's there. Absolutely. And, you know, I remember that scene. I've seen that movie a zillion times. And to, for them to say that it, she doesn't have braces, I was just like, you got to be kidding me. How? Of course she did. She did. I specifically remember the, the light shining off of her braces and sparkling, and that was their moment. Yeah. <sighs> you know, it gets frustrating because yeah. you're like, I know that that happened. I know for sure that that happened. And another one is, uh, and I know this because my, my kids at the time were, were small and they, uh, they collected these Pokemon cards and one of the more popular characters, I don't know if it was because they were hard to get on the card or, or what, but its name was Pikachu and Pikachu was this yellow looking I don't know, cartoon animal uh, had black tips on the tops of its ears and it had a black tip at the end of its lightning bolt tail. And I remember, I re I'm, I'm somewhat of an artist, so as my kids were young, they'd always ask me to draw things. And I can remember drawing a picture of Pikachu. <laughs> That's hard to Pikachu. say. A picture of Pikachu. Pikachu. <laughs> 
for my son's door into his bedroom. And I put a black tail tip on it. And now they're saying that there is no black tip on his tail. I didn't follow Pikachu enough to know whether or not he had that or not. But I, I know that that is one of the things that people argue about in the Mandela effect. You know, another one that strikes me because, as I said, I was somewhat of an artist. Uh, um, a good deal of my time in high school was spent doing art. And the Mona Lisa. When I look at Mona Lisa now, Mona Lisa has a, kind of a Cheshire cat grin on her face. Kind of like she got one over on somebody. And... When I was younger and we had to study, you know, Leonardo da Vinci's works, she was a very stoic looking woman. She did not look like she was enjoying her time sitting there having da Vinci paint her. She just did not have a smile on her face. And now she does. What do you think it all means? Well, some of the things that you brought up in our in our messages was was very intriguing, and it, as I said before, I I stayed up way too late, uh, rummaging through, <laughs> rummaging through the uh, the heap of stuff that you you dumped on me on that conversation. <laughs> um, You're welcome. But but you know some of this. And here's, again, here's my big disconnect is why is it certain things and why is it so polarizing? Why is, why is it, you know, and there, there's a, there's a thing that our brain does and it's, it's called down processing and basically what it means is in whatever state your mind is in as it's taking in a um, an influence something that you're looking at something that you are seeing happen your mind goes to relate to the most easiest aspect of what it's seen and then from that point on it it down processes to more specific more integral parts of what's being viewed now this this is used to kind of take for instance if you witness an accident and six other people witness an accident and the police go to each person and take statements immediately after, after this happened. And there's some discrepancies between your description of the events. Now, you all saw the same thing, perhaps from a different perspective. Perhaps you were standing on opposite sides of the car, whatever the fact may be. But... You all saw the same thing, but your account of how it happened can differ. 
And it's because certain people's minds grab onto what they feel is the easiest thing to process and then work their way down to the more specific stuff. And, you know, when you read about that, it, it does kind of seem like it could play into it. Um, and, and here's <laughs> going back to my nerd flag. Um, the, the scene in, in the empire strikes back where Luke finds out in whichever way that Vader is his father. Um, that was a pretty jarring scene. That was, I don't know. What was that? 12, 13, no, 14, maybe something like that. Uh, that was a pretty jarring scene. It was completely unexpected and it was kind of a holy shit moment. Um, so did my mind, did my mind bypass what was actually being said? And did I formulate the simplest response being that of no Luke, I'm your father, <laughs> you know? Um, and I, I, I honestly think that could possibly have happened, but why is it the same exact process? Why would that same exact thing happen to so many people? Why would this become such a thing that I don't understand? And I think that's the point is that so many people are remembering the same exact thing, not a variation of it, but one specific thing different from what they say that it is now. And if it was, if it was that just perceiving it in a simple way, I think people would have variations of that memory. You know what I'm saying? You know, I dated a girl who, uh, right out of high school, I dated a girl who worked for Chick-fil-A, loved her to death. She was great. I would go to the mall a couple of times a week and I would go see her while she was working. I'd meet her just before break time. She would come out to the table sit down with me during her break and she would bring me a chicken sandwich, some waffle fries and a lemonade. It was spelled C H I C F I L A. It wasn't C H I C K. I I couldn't tell you how many times I was to Chick-fil-A when I was a kid. We just got Chick-fil-A over here not that long ago. So I couldn't tell you, (laughs) you know, but that's another one that it's just like, you know, and I don't spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about this. Don't get me wrong, but you know, but yet when you look it up, Chick-fil-A comes up as being one of the ones that so many people are mistaken about. So I wonder, is this in your estimation, is this generational? Could it be geographical? Is it multidimensional? <laughs> you know, I'm, I've thought a lot about this and I've, you know, there's so many other things that I have experienced that have changed from when I was younger and literally made my head spin. Uh, can I tell you a story about it? Please. Okay. So when I was a little girl, uh, my, I was born in Thief River Falls, Minnesota, and uh, had family there. My my aunt and uncle lived just outside of town on the Red Lake River. And in order to get to their home, we had to drive past this park where the Thief River fell into the Red Lake River. 
And there was a park there to commemorate that and a bridge. And he'd crossed the bridge. And, you know, I always looked over at the park. And there was also a park on the other side of the river where the swimming hole was. And so I'd always look over at that, too. And uh, and then past Northland College. And then we'd go on and, and on to my aunt's house. Well, there was an, an, a statue right there at the river where the Thief River falls into the Red Lake River. And that's where pretty much the town got its name is the Thief River Falls because it, it is no more. It falls into the Red Lake River. And so there was a statue erected there that looked at the spot where the Thief River falls into the Red Lake River. And it was this giant, and I mean giant, statue of, a, of an Indian maiden. And she had an empty cradleboard or papoose on the back on her back and uh she had very beautiful braids in her hair two braids and and uh you know it was just a very beautiful statue and she was staring at the river and I was always just so fascinated by it that I remember asking my aunt about that statue and so she took me to that park they had swing sets and everything there and I wasn't old enough to read yet so I walked up to the statue and and you know, as a little girl, it's even larger than life. <laughs> and I'm looking up at it, and I see that there's words on it. And so I asked her, well, what does it say? And she read it to me, and it was the story about this Indian maiden who had a baby. And she was working in the river. And back in the day, the, you know, the natives would be working in the river, washing whatever they were washing, their clothing or whatever. And they, a lot of times, would hang their babies in the cradleboard from the trees. If it was a windy day, the, the wind would rock the baby. And that's kind of where the song Rockabye Baby in the Treetops comes from. Oh, interesting. Okay. But another thing that they would do if they were working in the water is sometimes they would tie the, the cradle to the shore. And then the river would rock the baby in the cradle. Okay. So they'd literally be floating next to their mother in the river. Mm-hmm. Well, she's working in the river and she turns around and her baby is gone. It's gone. And she panics. They start searching for her baby and searching for her baby and they never could find the baby. And she spent years of her life at the river demanding that the river give her baby back that the she kept saying that the river stole her baby hence the name thief river and that's how the the river got its name the thief river because it stole her baby and she spent years at the river just couldn't let it go and so they erected this statue in memory of her and so i always remembered that it was a very moving story to me and whenever we would drive past this which we did often because my aunt lived on the other side of there every time we would drive drive past that i would look over i would see her standing there looking at the river and i would acknowledge her and i would say she's still waiting for the river to give her baby back every time we drove past it i would say that out loud she's still waiting for the river to give her baby back and i would acknowledge her and honor her, you know, and, and, and it was such a moving story to me. And so every time we drove past that, I said that every time since the time I was a little teeny tiny girl. Now, you're 
you're you have Native American descent, right? I yes, yes, and that actually was my tribe. So <laughs> so 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 there is some, and I guess the reason I bring that up is that the the correlation between the two that it it meant more to you than just a, a child seeing a statue. Yes, yes. There there was some uh, historical uh, reverence for that for that statue to you. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, I if you look at me, I mean some people can see it, but I you know, people don't generally look at me and go, "She's Native American." They generally don't do that. I mean, sometimes people look at me and say they can see it. But, you know, I I'm a mixture of all kinds of things, but I'm actually a tribal member of the Red Lake Band of Chippewa in northern Minnesota. But, you know, to look at me, not all people can pick that out. But when my grandfather and my great-grandfather, you know, stoic Native men, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and my mom is very dark as well. So, I mean, I my mom chose a, a giant red-headed white guy to be my dad. Oh, God, are we going to talk about giants, too? <laughs> that would be my dad. <laughs> was he in... Was he in- was he a Nephilim? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Don't start rumors about me now. <laughs> oh my. Oh okay, yeah. So so back to your uh, back to your Native American statue. So when people would talk about Native things, to me it was very very personal because my my grandfather. I would think of my grandfather, my great grandfather. You know, that's that's my grandpa. That's my great grandpa. Mm-hmm actually knew my great-grandfather better than my grandpa because he lived much longer in my lifetime than my grandpa did and and so you know for me you know that was that was my family so I was always very attracted to those things although a lot of the teachings you know that that were native like teachings although my mom did teach me something that were native she didn't know that they were native (laughs) oh okay well, that makes because sense. Because when I was older and I was like, Mom, why didn't you tell me that you were teaching me Indian stuff? She says, I didn't teach you any Indian stuff. I said, yes, you did. <laughs> and she says, no, I didn't. I'm like, you did. And she says, no, I didn't. And she said, like, what? And so I, I listed off the various things that she taught me about that were native. And she says, those are native? I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> She says, well, I didn't know that. That's just how we lived. And then they didn't say, this is white and this is Indian. It's just how we lived. <laughs> so, you know, to, to separate those things is a fairly new thing for us, I guess. And I didn't know that they were Native either until I was older and I started recognizing them as I got deeper into the Native culture and Native spirituality when I felt called to that. Yeah. So... So, yeah, but it, to me, this this Indian statue of this Indian maiden was a very special thing that was part of my life. It was a big part of my life. Every time we drove past there, I would acknowledge her, even as an adult. It was, it was something I always did. Mm-hmm. So here I am, mid-30s, going to my aunt's house for my cousin's baby shower, okay? And I'm driving by by myself, and I slow down as I'm crossing, you know, about to cross it this park where the the statue is and I look over to acknowledge her standing there waiting for the river to give her baby back and I look over and I start to say she's still and I stopped and I was like what in the heck the statue was different 
there was still a statue there. It was still just as big and still in the same spot. And it was still looking at the river. It was still an Indian. But now it's a man. And he doesn't even have two braids. She had two beautiful braids with things in her hair and something on her back. And he doesn't have anything on his back. He's holding a tomahawk. And he's wearing a red coat. <laughs> and I was just stunned. And so I turned around and drove into the park and got out of my car and stomped over to the statue, looking at it, trying to figure out what happened here. Why did they change the statue? Why did they do this? And so I looked at the base of the statue where the writing was, and I read what it said there. And it said that this was Chief Red Robe. And it had a map of the land and the rivers. And it and the map that was originally the, the land that was given to him in the tribe. And then it was stolen back from them by the white people. So that's why they named this river the Thief River. What? And I was like, what? No. Why would they do this? And I felt horribly offended and hurt that they that they changed this because it wasn't it wasn't right that they would change this. And it wasn't even a very attractive statue, to be quite honest with you. It was very plain, plain looking. She was a beaut she had beautiful detail and this one didn't. And so I was just upset that they that somebody went and changed the statue, that they put a different statue there. And I, I continued on to my aunt's house and I walked in there demanding to know when they did this and why. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody looked at me like I was nuts. And because who, who was who was the one that took you? My aunt, the one whose house I was at. And she has no recollection of it. And she does not remember that. She said that statue's always been there, Jen, since you were a little girl. And I looked it up online, and that statue on online, the records say that that statue was erected in the early 1970s. And it wasn't even, uh, it was a, a, a model or a, a, a cast that they used. It was a generic native cast that they used for many statues across the country. It wasn't even made to look specifically like Chief Red Robe, whose name was really Mustang. Chief Mustang. <laughs> Sorry. And his nickname was Red Robe because he wore a red jacket that he got from a soldier. And so they just nicknamed him Chief Red Robe. So nobody has any recollect recollection of you as a little girl always spouting something off as you as you went past as you went past the the statue. Exactly. Acknowledging. Nope. And the very woman that took you there and told you the entire story about that princess uh losing her baby to the river doesn't a remember absolutely it. no no recollection of it nothing and i was like no and i said that it was a woman she lost her baby to the river nope they they just looked at me like i was crazy and I was upset and I was, you know, determined to find the answers. Like maybe they just didn't remember or, you know, that wasn't a big deal to them. It was a big deal to me. And, uh, you know, I was just trying to figure out and make sense of what was happening here. 
you know, why, why is it different? So I started looking into it and I, I have clients that I see on a regular basis, but you know, I live probably two, two and a half hours away from there now, but sometimes I know somebody who used to live there or Mm -hmm. they went to college at Northland college, which is right across the road from that. So if I knew that they had lived there at one time or they went to college there, I asked them, you know, do you remember the, the park that's, that's right there by Northland College where the, the thief river falls into the Red Lake River? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, do you know the statue that's there? Yes. And I'm like, could you tell me about the statue? Just leaving it wide open. Tell me about the statue. What do you remember about it? And do you know the story that goes with it? Most of the time, people will tell me it's an Indian man, chief, you know, red robe, if they know his name. And if they know the story, it's about how the the land was stolen from the Indian people. And that's why they call it the Thief River. And, uh, you know, I was like, okay. And, you know, I I just kept kept asking everybody that that I had in my office that I encountered that I knew had gone to that college or had lived in Thief River Falls at one time, I asked if they remembered that statue. And I asked them to describe the statue to me and the story that went with it. And the interesting thing is, every once in a while, somebody will tell me that it was a woman. So you do have some cooperating. And they told me that she lost her baby to the river. And that's why the river was named the Thief River because it stole her baby. And she's still waiting for the river to give her baby back. It doesn't happen very often, but there are instances where people tell me that. And so there are others who remember that. And there was one particular gentleman who I actually got to know quite well. And I, I ended up telling him the story of why I was asking. I said, when was the last time that you were there? And he was considerably younger than I am. And he said, uh, 2007, which was before. That's way before. Yeah. So I was like, okay, that's cool. And as an experiment, I think it would be really fun to, to get in his car and let him take me there. Mm-hmm. Just to see what we would find when we got there. <laughs> <laughs> because he tells me for sure it's a woman. And when I told him, no, it's a man. He's like, absolutely not. <laughs> he's oh, arguing weird. with me. Yeah, yeah. But I think it would be a fun experiment to do that. If we ever got the chance to, you know get together and I think I should ride in his car let him take me there and just see what we find there because I, I think it would be really awesome if we got there and it was a woman again <laughs> <laughs> but I mean that shook me to the core that was such a big thing to me you know I think that when we experience these changes to what we remember mm. it's often easy to just let it go because it's not a very big deal, you know. Uh, but this was something that was a big deal to me. It was a big part of my life. I always honored her when we when we drove by her and recognized that she was still waiting for the river to give her baby back. 
And so for me, it wasn't something that I could just let go. I absolutely remember it like the back of my hand. It was a big part of my life. And so when that changed, it really shook me to the core because I couldn't let it go. I had to understand what is happening here. What is it? What happened? And people will call that the Mandela effect. That some people will remember it being a woman. That it's really a man. And I'm telling you, it doesn't look anything like the same statue. Their hair isn't the same. He's wearing a red jacket. And he's wearing uh, this this uh, sachet going across his body with a beautiful, it, you know, it, it would be beadwork. It was a painted on him beadwork. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being part Native from that tribe, I understand that that identifies a family. You know, the beadwork specific to a family. Oh, really? And so, I, you know, I recognize that his beadwork represents his family. And... Um, so when you go to powwows, you can recognize whose family is what based upon what they're wearing, what, what their artwork looks like in their beadwork, because certain flowers will only be worn by certain families now that was, they came up with that. Was the, was the statue of the, the woman, was it painted as well? Did it have color to it or was it, it just did. A- it did. She was beautifully painted and she had beautiful things in her hair. Um, you know, she was, she was beautiful. And this statue that's there now is relatively very plain. And so it did, didn't have as much detail as the, as the one that, that I remember growing mm-hmm. up, the, the female. It didn't, it does not have as much detail now, even though it has beadwork and that painted on it, it's still not as detailed. So uh, in my research of this, never letting it go, I did find a story that the story of the Indian woman who lost her baby at the river is true. That's a true story. There is record of that. Okay. So that is a true story. <laughs> but nothing so, to, nothing to indicate that a, a monument was ever erected for. Right. Exactly. So, but here's my point. If it's a true story, and it is, how would I know that? If that statue wasn't there. Right. If your aunt hadn't, hadn't told you. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, that was the thing that really got me going into figuring out what is going on here. What, what is this? And then I started noticing other things would change. And it got to be kind of a creepy thing. Like I really thought I might be going crazy. And at the time, I was going through what I would call my spiritual awakening. And I'll tell you just a little bit of background about me. I've always been a sensitive person. I was a, we people would call me psychic, okay? Mm-hmm. Like I was aware of ghosts. I was aware of what was happening, what was going to happen, you know, things I would know in advance. I know that there were times I, I think I heard my parents thinking and didn't realize that until I responded to what they were thinking and course it scared them um and so you know i would say things like great aunt gladys just died it would just fly out of my mouth and you know i would cover my mouth after i'd say such things you know like "Ooh, i shouldn't say that out loud but just flew right out and then a little while later we'd get a phone call letting us know that 
great aunt Gladys just died. And Seriously. I'd say, what time? <laughs> and I'd always, what time? Because I'd always look at the clock. As soon as I said something like that, I'd look at the clock. And I'd say, what time? Because when, when I said it at that day, it was 11.28 a.m. And later later on, my grandma called to tell me that great aunt Gladys died. And I said, what time? <laughs> what time? And she said, uh, uh, like 11.30? Like, yep. Wow. So, I mean, things like that would happen. But when I was when I was a little kid, I quickly discovered that these things scared my family. These, that kind, they of, wasn't, these kind of topics, you mean? When, when these things would happen, it scared them. And I could feel their fear. It felt like a rejection, a push away. Oh, I, I see what you're saying, yeah. And so I didn't want to be rejected. I wanted to be loved and accepted and, and I wanted to be the normal kid that they wanted me to be. Or that's how I perceived that. So I tried my best to be normal. And I tried, I learned very quickly what not to say out loud because of what scared them. So I would just not say stuff. And I learned to just be normal or appear normal. <laughs> I was pretending. Was that was be, that a, was that a hard thing for you to do? Uh, I think sometimes it was, and, but you know, I kept trying to reject this gift, and I kept trying to reject it all through my life. As I got older, I became a massage therapist, and sometimes when I touch people, I would know stuff. And I'll give you an example of that. So I had a new client, and he didn't tell me that he had any medical history that I should be aware of. So he gets undressed, he lays on the table, he's fully draped in a sheet and a blanket. And at that time, I used to start on people's feet. So I uncovered his foot, and I went to start working on his foot. And as soon as I touched him, I felt like I put my hand inside a flame of fire. And I yanked my hand back and shook my wrist out, you know, like, what the heck was that? And I went to go start again, and every time I touched him, it felt like I stuck my hand in a, in a fire. And I couldn't figure out what was happening here, and I just thought, well, maybe I'm bending my wrist funny. Maybe it's, I'm pinching a nerve. You know, that's yeah. new. And so I just decided to move on and, and try a different position. So I uncovered his leg to just start on his leg. And as I uncovered his leg, I see that he, he, he's a burn victim. Oh, my word. And three quarters of his body had been skin grafted because he had been in a fire. And as soon as I knew that, I could touch him without feeling like I was touching fire. So things like that would happen. I, of course, I didn't tell him, oh, touching you feels like touching fire. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't say anything, you know, but, yeah. you know, these things would happen and I would be annoyed by it because I was always trying to be normal. Okay. Uh, another thing, I went to visit these people down in Georgia who I'd helped to get custody of their children uh, that were living up here. And so the father was down in Georgia and I helped him in that process of making that switch over. And I decided I'm going to go down and visit those girls and just see how they're doing. You know, I think they'd feel good about that. And so I flew down there and the man's wife had a, a child that had cerebral palsy. And so when she picked me up from the airport, we and she drives way out into the country, and, and they lived about two hours' drive away from town. 
any town. <laughs> they lived in the middle of nowhere. In the boonies. And we get to their house, and here's her son. He's 16 years old, and he's in a wheelchair. And I looked at him, and when I looked at him, his flesh melted off of his body, like rotted away, leaving a skeleton. And it was disgusting and slimy and gross. And I just went, oh, because nothing like that. I'd never seen anything like that before. I'd never seen anything change like that with my eyes open ever before. And every time I looked at him, it happened. Every single time I looked at him. And I would just cringe and look away. And then I would peek at him again and it would happen again. Were you able, and to, then hide, I, were you able to hide that from him or did he realize that you were repulsed at looking at him? I don't know because I was so overwhelmed by what was happening that I don't know how aware of this he was. But I said to his mom, is he okay? Because the only thing I could think of was something's wrong. Because this has never happened before. I said, is he okay? She said, yeah, he's got cerebral palsy, Jen. I'm like, yeah, I understand that he has cerebral palsy, but is he okay? Yeah, he's got cerebral palsy. I'm like, no, I don't understand. I think something's wrong. And she's like, no, Jen, he's, he's just got three of the four kinds of cerebral palsy. He's got them. I'm like, I understand that, but I really feel like something is wrong. I don't think he's okay. And every time I looked at him, it happened. And I was really trying to be calm and not seem crazy <laughs> because I know that that sounds crazy. And I didn't know this woman. I knew the dad. Great I first guess. impressions. Right. And then when I look at him again, I'd see it and it would happen faster and it started to flash red on and off, on and off, on and off. And it just reminded me of ambulance, emergency. And I just kept feeling emergency, emergency. And I started crying because I'm like, I don't know what to do. Something's wrong with him. And I just started crying and I, I said, listen, I, I think something is really wrong with him. I think you should take him to the doctor right now. And she says, what? And, I, and she asked him, how do you feel? He says, I feel fine, mom. And she's like, I, you know, Jen, he just got cerebral palsy. I said, no, you don't understand. Something is wrong. I really feel like something's wrong. He's dying. I think he's dying. And I was crying and sobbing. And, and every time I looked at him, I'd, I'd, I'd cringe and look away. You know, I wasn't hiding it. There was no way I could hide it. I was very upset <laughs> because it was scary to me to see this and I, I was trying to figure out what does it mean? Why am I seeing this? Why won't it stop? Because it just kept getting worse. And um, then I grabbed a hold of her and I, I kind of shook her and, and I said, listen, you take him and find out that I'm wrong, but don't you dare stay here and find out that I'm right. Don't do that. Take him, find out that I'm wrong. Do that. I'll stay here with the other kids. It's okay. Just go, go right now. You have to go now. And, you know, she saw, because I literally shook her. I shook her, and I'm in her face. And I said, I'm a mom. I understand this. Just go. Go. 
And she took them. She put them right in the car and they left. Because she's like, Jen, it's like two hours away to see a doctor here. I'm like, go to the hospital right now. And she did. And she got him to the hospital. And the doctor asked her, why did you bring him here? They knew how far away they lived because, you know, they knew them. He, he didn't exactly have a clear bill of health. Right. And she said, listen, my, my friend flew in. And she insisted that he there's something wrong with him, that he's dying, and he says he's okay. And they checked him over, and he says, you know, this is a miracle. Because if, if you had waited till he had symptoms, he would have died in your car before you could get here. Apparently, he had had a grand mal seizure while he was sleeping which was causing his brain to swell and nobody knew it. Oh my word. And had they waited until there were symptoms that something was swelling in his brain, he would have never made it to the hospital. But because they caught it, they were able to drill a hole in his skull and drain the fluid off before it caused a problem. And it saved his life. But before we found out that that was the case, when she took him and left... When she took him and left, uh, I was very scared. Like, I didn't know what to think. This had never happened before. I was afraid maybe I was crazy. You know, because when this stuff happens, it feels crazy. When you're not used to it, when you don't know what it is, when it's never happened before, it feels crazy. So I called a friend of mine's mom who lived back in the town where I came from. And I called her because I thought if she takes him there and there's nothing wrong with him, then there's something wrong with me. And somebody needs to hold me accountable to that because I'll probably get too scared. (laughs) (laughs) So I called her and I told her what was happening so that she would know to hold me accountable if he was okay. Which, you know, he ended up having, there was an emergency that he did need to be there. So, it was a confirmation of that. But then she told me to repent because I didn't know where that information was coming from. And it could be coming from the devil. (laughs) Which I thought was absolutely ridiculous. And years, you know, I, I was like, I, you know, I didn't ask for anything to happen. I have done everything in my power to make this stuff go away. And it still happens, you know, even though I'm like, I don't want this. But then years later, uh, her daughter was at my house. And she'd stayed way too long and it was time for her to go. And I was literally thinking, oh, gosh, I wish she'd leave. And uh, (laughs) oh, it was time for her to go. I get it was time. And uh, she had her her son with her, and uh, I was walking her to her car. And as I'm walking her to the car, feeling very grateful that she's leaving, out of my mouth flies, you're not supposed to leave yet. Stay five more minutes. And in my head, I'm like, no, (laughs) she stayed way too long already. What the hell are you saying? And out of my mouth comes, you need to stay here for five more minutes. You're not supposed to leave right now. You're supposed to stay here. Just stay five more minutes. And she's like, Jen, I got to get to the bank. No, 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 So she puts her son in the car in the back seat on the passenger side. 
And I'm telling her adamantly, you are not supposed to leave. You stay five more minutes, just five minutes, just stay five more minutes. And it's still in my head. I'm like, what the hell? no, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want her to stay. And, and, but what was coming out of my mouth was like an autopilot thing. It was just happening. And it wasn't like my thought. It wasn't my want for her to stay. And she goes around the car and she gets into the driver's side and I opened up the, the car door and I took her son out of the car. And she says, what are you doing? I got to get to the bank. I said, that's fine. You're not supposed to leave right now, but if you're going to leave anyway, I'm keeping him here with me. You can come back for him later. She's like, whatever. And she drove away and I kept her son. Later on, when she didn't come back, my husband was mad because we had plans to go do something, and now we have this kid. Now he's mad that she didn't come back. <laughs> and out of my mouth flew, don't be mad. She was in an accident, you know. And I was like, what? It's one of those things that just flies out, and you don't know it until you hear yourself say it. And after a while, I get a phone call. She had been T-boned when she left my house. She got T-boned at an intersection. The part of the car where her son was sitting was completely crushed. He never would have survived that. She was absolutely fine. The car was totaled, but she was fine. And she was so mad at me. (laughs) Why didn't you tell me I was going to be in an accident? I'm like, I didn't know. Obviously you did. (laughs) I didn't know what it was all I knew was that you weren't supposed to leave yet and you didn't listen to me and she was so mad at me and then the grandmother of this boy was the one who told me to repent when that happened with the other boy and although she was very thankful that her grandson was still alive she still told me to repent and I said you know bite me it was still (laughs) still the work of the devil it could, it, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was the angels, but you just can't be sure, so you should repent. And I'm like, you know what, bite me, I just can't, I can't, that feels so wrong to my soul, that I don't ask for this stuff, I actually ask for it to go away and it still happens. But when it does happen, it saves lives. I'm not even going to entertain this idea. Is that usually how something happens for you? You, you don't know what's behind it or, uh, I, you know, like, she was in an accident, but you, you weren't aware that she was going to be an accident. You just knew that she wasn't supposed to leave at that time. Yes. Is, is that, all I it, knew was, it, is it always some, is it always something that you better pay attention to or are you ever presented with this is what's going to happen? Every time that I've been presented with this situation that this is what's going to happen in advance, It's always to make a difference, to choose a different path. What would be the point of knowing something tragic was going to happen in advance if there would be nothing you could do about it? What would the point be in that? So what I learned throughout my years of experiencing this is that when I say something that this is what just happened, great aunt Gladys just died. It was more of a heads up. She died. It wasn't she's going to die. It was she already did. And it was on in that moment. 
But when it was always something ahead of time, then it was because there was something that I could do about that to make that different. I could present it to somebody else and, and make it a choice, you know, help them to take a different path to avoid that. As an older person that has gone through that spiritual awakening and embraced that part of myself now and lived for a long time with embracing it and really letting that part of myself to blossom and become part of who I am the way it was supposed to be. I totally understand and flow, go with that flow now. You know, I don't question it. And sometimes I think when people are experiencing these things, it's not life or death in the beginning. It's just a heads up. This is this, this is that. And it's just enough to make you see that this does happen when you knew this was going to happen. And then it did. You knew this was going to happen. And then it did. It's just to confirm that what you're receiving, the information that you're receiving is accurate so that you trust it. So when later on down the road, when it does become life altering or life, life or death for someone, maybe not you, but somebody else, mm -hmm. that when that situation happens, you trust it enough to act, to speak up, to say, this is this, you need to do this. This is what I saw. This is what you need to do to make it different. Do you ever look and, at like the the earlier times as you were younger and things were like this were happened? Do you ever look at that as possibly you were you were being um, trained? Yeah, absolutely. I I see it happening with other people too when they're going through that time of of just experiencing their gift. And then getting the confirmation that this this was real, the information was real. Do you ever have it a really, feeling of where this where this gift comes from? Um, you know, I think it comes from our guides, from you know whether you whether that be angels or ancestors or spirit guides. Uh, it it comes from our helpers, our protectors, and you know I I have quite a few different ones and I don't exactly know who or what they all are but some of them are angels and because um, I you know I can see sometimes wings or you know I hear wings flap or uh, and sometimes there's an eagle a bald eagle that comes that comes and, and a wolf a gray wolf um, different animals that would be you know, that's a very native thing, you mm -hmm. know, to have those native, native animal spirit guides. Uh, but I think, I think everybody has that because, you know, when you think about it, everybody on this planet is indigenous to somewhere. Right. Right. And when you look at the beliefs about the creator or God or whatever people want to call that when you look at the symbols that are attached to that the symbols that go along with that often are a circle with a cross inside or something that looks very similar to a circle with a cross inside and that symbol goes back ages and it crosses oceans and cultures and traditions and it always 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 represents the same thing so I think symbol symbols is the oldest language that there is. 
And I'm very, very interested in that. Uh, the circle with the cross inside a Native American uh, culture or tradition is the medicine wheel. And it represents, an, it's, a, it's like a outline for an extremely large teaching. <laughs> but they use the medicine wheel to represent the four directions, the four colors of man, the, you know, the four sections of self. Uh, it, it represents the four seasons, uh, the four clans of man, the four, I mean, it's, it's all inclusive of everything. And when you, when a person travels that medicine wheel within themselves and crosses through the four sections of self, which are mental, which are the thoughts that you're aware of, physical, which is your physical body that you're aware of, and then it's emotional, the emotions that you're aware of, and then it's spiritual, which is your interconnection, your awareness of your interconnection that all that is, of all that is. And those four sections of self complete you, and, and then you can make it to the center, whereas, which is the center of your heart. And in that place... You know everything. There's no fear. There's no doubt. There's just knowing. And you can access information there that is beyond you, beyond your knowing, beyond your life. It's just there. and Pretty much akin to uh, collective conscious. A oneness, yes. But in, in essence, the, the, the natives call it the walking the good red road. And my native elder talked about this, about the, the walking the red road. And, you know, you're always envisioning walking this road and it's a good road. You know, you're walking this good road in life and you're staying on that good road, right? But he says, you know, it's the longest and the hardest road you'll ever walk. And some people never even begin that journey. They never walk that road. And some people walk it for their whole life and never get there. They never get there. And he goes, it's the longest and hardest road you'll ever walk, but it's only 18 inches long. The road is only 18 inches long. It's the road that goes out of your head and into your heart. And mm -hmm. literally, he was talking about the heart being a brain. Not lead with your heart, lead with good, goodness, you know, don't make good choices. It wasn't like that. He literally was talking about thinking from that place instead of in your brain. And I didn't understand that until he put me there. <laughs> it, I it, it is, it's a hard one to wrap your head around. I mean, I it really is. I understand what you're saying. I understand it what really the, is. The, the words mean, but I don't, it, it's hard to, to wrap your head around. He literally put me in in the corner in a, between a rock and a hard place. And this man is somebody who I trusted. He was the one who guided me through my spiritual awakening, which felt crazy, by the way. I kept asking him if I was okay because <laughs> I don't feel okay. And he kept saying, no, you're okay. Just don't tell anybody else. They won't understand. They won't understand because all you want to do is tell everybody because your, your perception of reality is shifting so fast. And things are better than they were. The colors are brighter. The skies are lighter. Everything is wonderful. And it wasn't before. <laughs> so it was, it was such a change. 
was and it, it just felt was this a long process for you to go through or um, was this or was felt, did you re- reach a point that he was like okay you're ready you're you're doing this now well i know that there were several times he tried to put me in this corner or back me into this corner and i and it can recall quite a few times he started and i said no like i knew where he was going and i don't know where that no came from because after i said no very strongly to him he just stopped and i was thinking well why did i do that why did i say no to him and but i, I apparently my inner voice that knows was telling him i'm not ready i'm not ready I'm not ready and he recognized that so when it happened, like we would spend a lot of time on the phone. We would spend, uh, you know, one or two times a week for a couple hours. He would be, we'd be on the phone and he would always say, start the conversation. He'd say, you want to walk with me a while? You want to walk with me a while? And I'd say yes. And I'd close my eyes and I could see him there. And he would tell me stories and I would see the story like like a movie in my head like as he was telling me the story on the phone i could see it happening in my in my head i'm visualizing it i thought i was visualizing it but i don't know if it was something more than that but i would literally see him in the story and i it would all just be very 3d experience for me (laughs) and uh and this one particular time then he started to talk about this particular subject that I had always said no to him about and I don't really want to go into the details of it because I think that it's something that the they still use to help people mm-hmm. to find that place in their heart but I'm just going to tell you that he told me that I needed to do something that I absolutely did not want to do to harm something that I loved very much to make this sacrifice and I said no now just like before I said no but he had never even started he just started to say the first few words and I said no (laughs) before no (laughs) but this time I listened to what he was saying and he told me that there was an angel in the west who was very angry and was instructed by God that he was going to to destroy the earth because nobody was doing their ceremonies anymore. Nobody was obeying, and you have to do this now or else everybody's going to die. And I was like, I can't do that. I can't. And um, he's like, everybody's going to die anyway. Everybody's going to die. You have to. And that was a belief that I held being raised as a Christian, I believed that God was displeased with us and that God would destroy us, right? That was a belief that I held since I was a little girl. And what he was doing was he was forcing me into a corner to face that fear and to face that belief to discover whether or not it was true. And in that desperate moment of we're all going to die, because I trusted this person beyond measure. What he said to me was like gold, you know? (laughs) And when he told this to me and I was so scared and at the same time, I absolutely did not want to do it. All of a sudden I felt myself shrink. Like it was like I shrunk down into my heart. Like literally I felt myself go there. And when I was in there, I knew for a fact 
There was no doubt that he was lying to me. And that would never happen in a million years. This would never, ever, ever, ever happen. There's no angel waiting to destroy us. There's no God that's trying to hurt us. <laughs> mad that we're not doing ceremonies. That's not even true. And I stayed in there long enough to discover that that's not true. And there was no doubt. There was no fear. There was only anger. And I was mad at him mm-hmm. for trying to get me to do this horrible thing. And I didn't question why did he do it in the moment. I just came out screaming, that is not true. That would never happen in a million years. Why would you want me to do that? What is wrong with you? And I was screaming, cussing, and I was just furious. And I could still see his face when I closed my eyes, and he was smiling. And I said, why are you smiling? Are you sick? (laughs) And he just kept smiling bigger, and he said, I knew you had that connection. I'll get out of your way now. And he hung up the phone. And I was scared at that moment because I was like, what, who is this person that I've trusted all this time to guide me through the scariest moments of my life? Why would he want me to do this? It's just, I, it scared me. And it took me quite some time to come to the realization of what really happened there, which was he was breaking me of that belief. Yeah. And that he showed me that stairway that led back into my heart. And then he told me the story later on when I reconnected with him. And uh, he, said, he said that apparently when, that, when I went down in there, I still had a hold of him. We were still connected. So I took him with me into my heart. And he said that had never happened to him before. And it was the most beautiful thing that had ever happened. That he was in there with me. <laughs> and he said it was the most beautiful thing he'd ever experienced in his life. And, uh, and so he was very moved by that, but, uh, it, it was, it was for, for, for how he explained it later. He said that, you know, you spend your whole life, you you're, you're born and you're open and everything is wonderful. And then you get scared and you go running up into your brain where fear lives. Mm-hmm. Cause that's the only place where fear can live is in your brain. But when you, when you find that stairway that goes back down into your heart and you can remember all the things that you really know deep inside yourself, you know them, you know it beyond any doubt, you absolute knowing. When you find that stairway to get back in there, you don't forget that it's there and you remember that it's there and you remember you can go there anytime you want and you can find that oneness, you can find that knowing and you can break your fears one by one. When the heart rules the mind. Yes. When you literally go down in there. And what's interesting is because he talked about it like it's its own brain. Like you have two brains. And literally one of my spirit names, or what most people would call an Indian name, but really we call them spirit names. One of my spirit names means two heart. <laughs> hmm. So, and and I found out that the meaning of that, one of the meanings of that is that my my head has become so clear that it is it is clear as if I have two hearts instead of a brain and a heart. I have two hearts instead. <laughs> so, wow. so um, that is, uh, that was way off topic here, but. That's uh, all right. 
Yeah. And so with that, there's that knowing inside. And what's interesting is that science is now talking about, for quite a few years now, they have discovered that the heart itself is made up of 80% neurological cells. Literally, really? literally, literally, they're now considering it to be a second brain and that it can contain memories. So science is catching up to what these native people have always known and always talked about in the simplest fashion of things. That is very interesting. Isn't it? Isn't it? And so I just love that. I just love that. I'm a very, and, I'm a very science based thinker. So you know, my, my lifelong involvement with um, enjoying these types of topics, um, these fringe topics, um, it's always been a, it's always been a, a bit of a battle for me because I have to get past the, the scientific part of my thinking process to embrace the, the other. And, it's it's very encouraging when you start to hear about science finally kind of working its way into these beliefs even if it's even if it's not a a, a direct involvement with it but when you start to see science being able to quantify some of the things that people are experiencing that that's a that's an exciting thing for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm, And there's just so many things that that could go for. Like uh, there's, there's things like earthing. They call it earthing now or grounding. There's two different names for it. But for years I told people to go barefoot on the ground, mm -hmm. that there was an energy coming from the earth that we, that could heal us if we connected to it. Go barefoot on the ground. I was not and aware. I was never aware. I've heard, like you said, that the that the earth can heal you, and I've I have walked barefooted, and there is something to that. What's interesting is that I was sensing this and feeling this energy, and it's literally a physical sensation to me, and I was feeling it. And I would tell people about it, and literally they would look at me like I was nuts, and I'd be like, ah, oh, so frustrated by, by that. you know. But I just have to accept that they're just not there yet. And I would always say that to myself, they're not there yet, they're not ready yet, they're not there yet. It's not time for them to know this yet. <laughs> um, and But when, I mean, I've told so many people about this for many years, and they all just looked at me like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But then it came out on Facebook. Somebody put it out there that scientists have discovered that there's an energy coming from the earth and that if you go barefoot to the earth, that you're actually getting these, this energy, these ions and, and, uh, and that it's healing. Now that and it's that on it's Facebook, healing, everybody's going to listen. But yes, exactly. <laughs> but that scientists are talking about it now. And I was shared it. I was like, in your face, people. I've been saying this for years and you thought I was nuts, but here it is now that science says it. will you try it? You know, I just saw another post about it today and they're calling it grounding in that post. I'm like, it's also called earthing. You can look it up. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because I just had a conversation. Um, just, I don't know. It couldn't have even been a week ago where we were talking about the very same thing. It's like 
man, get outside. Yes. Take your shoes off and, yes. and just, it, it grounds you. And, you know, I, my, my discussion about that wasn't even as much like the, the spiritual part of healing that you're talking about. It was just a matter of, it's like, you know, put your phone away for an hour, shut it off and just go outside, take yes. your shoes off, walk in the woods. You know, when you're, in, when you're with nature, there's something that happens. I can't put my finger on it. it you know, it, whether it's, you know, everything, once you get away from the, the, the brick and mortar and the, the electronics and all that, and you're faced with looking at everything that the creator, whatever that is to you, has put in front of you. The, the natural, the, um, the pure, it does something to you. It really does. It, it does something to your soul. Absolutely. When you can sit there and just enjoy what the creator put in front of you. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes some people don't even believe in that, but they, there is something, you know, you can connect to nature. You can still do that. Connect with our mother planet. You know, we all come from that same place, from the earth, right? We're going to take a break now. I want you to keep your eyes open for part two with Jen Cruz. We've covered a lot of information in this episode. Before I let you go, I want to hearken back to something that Jen said about the human heart. It is true that in the early 90s, it was discovered and confirmed that the human heart has a brain. It's called the heart brain. It's composed of about 40,000 neurons that are like neurons in our brain. It can sense. It can feel. It can learn. And oddly, but maybe most importantly, hear your story. I want to hear your experience. So email me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, then leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Share the show with your friends. Share the show on social media. Make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. All at Uncomfortable Podcast. And until next week, my friends, stay uncomfortable. <laughs>